desire for everything in your life. So, so not only is it that, okay, now I have this desire to please him to do what he wants. It's not just like, okay, God's going to get up one day and figure, ah, I think I want Aaron to do this. No, God has in his infinite wisdom a very specific direction, plan, goal, uh, things to do, behavior for each and every person's life in every part of their life, uh, both for your good. Man, he's, does anybody believe he's working for your good right now? Both for your good, but also for the good of his kingdom. And so, you know, I've, I've said it this way. Yes, I'm so glad he saved me, but he saved me to serve him. And he's, he's, got, he's got some things he wants me to do. Now that you're on, this is maybe a trivial way to put it, but now that you're on the payroll, I got a job for you, all right? I got some things for you to do. So before, you know, the appeal that we give to those that come to Christ is, look what God can do for you, amen? Anybody ever said that to somebody? You ought to see, uh, maybe you're in a Bible study or you're talking to a friend or, or somebody that you're trying to witness to, and, and you start to laud all the things that God is and he can do. Maybe you give them your testimony and how much good God was. So before people come to Christ, it's all about what God can do for them, and rightly so. But there's a shift after you come to Christ. And it becomes, yes, it's not that God stops doing stuff for you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But it, there's a shift in where now it is more so about what do I do for Jesus? Jesus kind of set this tone for us in John 9 and 4. He said, I must, this was his idea. This was his mentality, right? I, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day because the night is coming when no man can work. And so, so God has a specific agenda that he wants to accomplish for you, in you, and very specifically through you. I want you to believe that tonight. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Okay, so let's talk about seven key. So, so if we all agree God's got this, this plan for us to follow and this will that we've got to find, get in the flow of, uh, obey, then, then let's talk about some keys to help us do that tonight. So seven keys to submitting to God's will for your life. The first one, we're going to use, the, again, the story of Abraham that, Abraham that, we, used, that we read through tonight. First key, key number one. Here's the truth. Write it down. God has a plan for everyone in every season. Okay? Write it down. If you're writing down, write that down. If you're cheating and you're an electronic app, you just click the thing and it'll fill it in for you so you don't have to wear your thumbs out. God has a plan for everyone in every season season. I think this is why when his disciples said, teach us to pray, that he was very careful to say, you know what? Uh, make sure you pray this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is in. That tells me heaven's got a clue of what's going on, right? There's a plan up there. There's a, there's a perfect will and we are to pray and say somehow what you've already set in motion, all right? Now apply this specifically. Uh, uh, what you've already set in motion in heaven for my life, Lord, let it happen on earth 
as it already is established in heaven. So that's why we're instructed to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Romans 12 and 1, I think I have those key scriptures that I'm drawing from. I think I have those in every one of those points. If I don't, forgive me, just scribble it down. I may not have got it on the paper, I'm sorry, on the first one. I'm getting glances like maybe I didn't. I think it's on the app, maybe not the paper. But if you have it, we can go to 12, uh, Romans 12 and 1. In fact, you can probably quote most of it. Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, it's on the screens, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, your bodies, your life, a living sacrifice. I'm begging you to give your life as, and here's a key word, a sacrifice. Not a convenience, but a sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is only our reasonable service. We get that. We've read that before, and we believe that. And then we, we really, you've probably heard this preached a lot too. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. What's that mean, Sister Jill? Change, right? Be changed. And how? By the renewing of your mind. Now, I have heard those, Lord. I've preached them. I, I beat those scriptures to death, especially that, you know, that world one. Be not conformed to the world. I, you know, uh, mercies of God. I've hit it all. But it kind of struck me when I was studying for this. There's a why here. There's a why in these scriptures. Don't be conformed to the world. Why? Present your body as a living sacrifice. Why? The why is the last part. So that you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect, read it with me, will of God. So the reason why we're supposed to not conform to this world, as, as believers, we're talking about we're, we're, we're past, you know, believing the gospel and obeying the gospel. As believers, we're, we're, yes, we're to, not, to learn not to conform to this world, and we're continuing renewing, letting the Spirit renew our minds, and we're, we're learning to present our lives and our bodies as a living sacrifice. But the purpose of all of it, Paul said, was that you could test out and listen to this. So you could test out for yourselves. A lot of times I've read that. Maybe you're guilty. Uh, guilty is not the right word, but maybe you've done this too. I've read that in the sense of God is going to test us whether we're going to be in his will or not. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, you do this so that you can test out for yourselves. So that you can discern what is the perfect will of God. Paul said the process of submitting your life to him and submitting your body and submitting your where you're at in your life and the resources you have and everything that has to do with living and the whole idea of conforming yourself to him instead of this world and the whole idea of of renewing your mind and changing your mind and becoming more all of that is so that you can get in the will of God and the will of God can get in you. Everybody see that? Now, maybe that's not cool to you, but that was cool. I'm like, oh, okay. That's the why. The, the reason why I present myself as a sacrifice, the reason why I break out of the mold of this world, and the reason why I constantly work on changing my mind towards the mind of Christ is because I'm trying to find his will for every part for the next 10 minutes, for the next 10 days, for the next 10 years, for the next 10 decades. 
I'm trying to find the will of God. Anybody trying to find that with me? I hope so. So the will of God, a lot of times when we think about that, Brother Carson, I don't know if you're like this or not, you think about it, that's for young people. You know, they, you know they, they haven't lived enough. They need to find the will of God, figure out where they're going to work, who they're going to marry. And, and Lord knows we hit that hard, right, with kids. And we should, we should. We hit that hard with youth. You go to a youth camp, you're going to, every sermon is going to be about, you know, find the will of God, finding your calling, finding, you know, uh, what God wants you to do. And a lot of times I think we can fall into a trap of thinking that's a young man's game. But I want to submit to you that it is everybody's game. That it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, what your station in life, that there should be a pursuit in the heart and the life of a believer that says, what is God's will for me in this moment? You're not too old to find God's will. You're not too young to find God's will. You're not too affluent and you're not too insignificant. You look in scripture at all the different people that God used to accomplish his will. In fact, this story here, Abraham, he was 75 years old. I mean, couldn't have God called him when he was 18? 24? Okay, 25, 30, when he had just a little bit, maybe a little bit more wisdom under his belt. I mean, we would say, uh, yeah, don't, don't, don't employ that guy. Let him get all his wild out, you know? No, but, but he called him at 75 years old. How old was Moses when he started his ministry? 80? How about Caleb? Anybody remember Caleb when he said, give me this mountain, and he was going to lead a military quest to take his part of the promised land? Anybody remember how old he was? 85? 85 years old. You're not too old. But then you go look at the other side of that. You look at the disciples. Over half of them, they believe. We believe. We don't know for sure. Believe we're under the age of 30. John is believed to be maybe no more than 16, 17 years old. He was a he was a teenager, and he's one of the disciples that gives us, look at the book of John, how revelatory, not to use a pun, but because he wrote Revelation. Anyway, all right, so look, look how great that God used that 17-year-old. You look at Gideon. He was the what? The least. He was the least of the least. Queen Esther, she was the queen. So it doesn't matter your station in life. God had something in those moments for all of them to do. So here's some good news. If God is not done with his will in your life. Amen? Okay, everybody, I want everybody to nod at me right now. Look me in the eyeball and nod at me. God is not done. I don't care what your station is. I don't care what the season of life you're in. I don't care what your finances are. I, I, I'm just telling you, the, God is not done with you. If he was, you'd be dead. You know what he's done with? Those <laughs> that are done. So, Pat yourself on the back. You're still breathing. You're still a candidate to find God's will. God has something for you to do. If there is breath, there is purpose, and he's not intimidated by track records or lack thereof, God has something for you to do this age where you are in your current condition. That's the prayer you got to pray. What is happening in heaven that's not on earth in my life that needs to happen right now? you got to learn. And how do I need to submit my life 
as a sacrifice, living, okay, not a martyr, but a living sacrifice in a holy way, in an acceptable way. How do I do that today? Joe, how do I do it today? How do I do that right now? How do I do that with where I'm at with, with these two teenage kids? How do I do that right now as a senior citizen? How do I do that right now in the ministry God has me right now, in right now? Does everybody see what I'm saying? Everybody say, the will of God is right now. It's not in the future somewhere. It's not already spent in the past. It's right now. And when we're supposed to be testing things out, I'm getting all excited. Is this better for you, Sister Dave? I'm okay. So, so it, it's now, it, 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 we, we should be testing and discerning what the will of God is. Usually she tells me to be quieter. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here tonight. Front row. That's awesome. All right. Second key. Everybody say key number two. Here's what we learned from Abraham. God will call you to come out of your comfort zone. The will of God will almost always call you to come out of your comfort zone. Here's why I can say that. Because the will of God is so arbitrary to our flesh, it's rarely comfortable. Amen? Anybody agree with that? It's so foreign, you know, you go by those scriptures where Paul said, you know, the flesh is enmity, it's hatred against God. So anytime God's trying to commandeer time, resources, energy, thoughts, there's going to be a pushback. So very rarely is the will of God just this, oh, it's just so comfortable. There's no sacrifice. There's no nothing that I have to give. No, Paul said living, remember the word living sacrifice. Genesis 12, 1, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. The word country refers to everything familiar. He said, withdraw yourself. Journey away from everything that is familiar. So what we learn from this is God may wrench us away from the things that cause us to build on what we know versus what we know of him. If you're not careful, you can call your spiritual journey and all your spiritual living, you, you, can, you can base it all upon just what you know and what you've learned and what you're comfortable with. Anybody hear what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I know what worship, I've done this before. I, I know what serving in this capacity means. I've done this before. And if you're not careful, you can say, well, I'm doing the will of God. I'm doing everything that I've ever done. Couldn't Abram said that and say, you know what? I've been living here. I do everything. But God said, no, I want you to come out of what you're comfortable in into a land that I'm going to show you. So, so God tends to stretch us in areas, especially where we're most comfortable. You think about, and I won't go into these stories, but because I think most of you probably know a lot of them. But you think about David stretched out of his comfort zone. Paul, oh, my Lord. He got hit. I mean, God had to knock him down, but stretched out of his comfort zone. Peter, stretched out of his comfort zone. Moses, getting almost everybody that you go through, you can find examples all throughout Scripture where God took people out of the familiar and said, my will is beyond that. Listen to me. Comfort is a killer when it comes to the will of God in your life. 
Write that down. Comfort can be a killer. Now, I'm not trying to say everything's going to be on edge and you're never going to have joy. I mean, please don't get the wrong picture here. What I am going to say is that the will of God most of the time is foreign to our flesh. Therefore, almost always, God's will pulls us out of what we would call our comfort zone. Now, you can sit there and you can stay on the other side of that equation. The side that says, you know what, I'm comfortable here. I'm comfortable being an usher. I've been an usher for 20 years. I'm going to be an usher till I die. I'm not saying quit being an usher, but I'm just saying you can be caught up in the comfortable. But let me remind you of one thing, that only what you do for Christ is actually going to last past this world. Does everybody remember? I mean, you've heard that before, right? That's not a new concept. Only There's, uh, there's songs about it. Only what you do for God is going to last. Everything around you, a lot even of what we draw our comfort from. How many of you like your house? Like your furniture? Like your, where you're at right now? You like the cars you're driving? As long as they work, right, Phil? I knew I, I, knew I was going to get you on that. We get comfortable. Let me just remind you. Can I remind you, APC, this is all temporary. It's all temporary. Everything, many of the things that we draw comfort from in this life, they are temporary. 1 Corinthians 7.31 tells us the form of this world is passing away. People, I've heard people say, this is a dying planet. They don't even know how dying it is. 1 John 2 and 17, and the world is passing away in the lust of it but he who does the will of God abides forever. Do we need any more scriptures? Second Peter, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief of the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all things will be dissolved, what manner of persons should we be? If it's all going to burn and the only thing that's going to abide is the will of God, then the most important thing for the believer is to operate daily in that will. Now you talk about a stretch. God stretched Abraham. What if God came to you tonight and said, all right, sell your house. Leave your family. You pick up everything, and you go, and here's what's crazy. You go to a land that I will tell you. You talk about a stretch. The Bible is very clear to tell us that Abraham, listen to me, he did not even know where he was going. How do you like that one? I mean, I don't know about you, but I want some particulars. I, I'd like some details. If you're going to make me uproot my whole family, at least give me a city. All right, G give me maybe a route, you know, uh, dialed up in, in maps so I at least know where I'm going. But he said, you, get you out of that and you journey and go where I tell you. Hebrews 11 and 8 says that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, the Bible says, not knowing where he was going. <laughs> we, You know what? If I told you, listen, the will of God's in front of you. Don't worry about where it is. Just follow it. How many of you like that sort of direction? Can you imagine someone asking Abraham, 
why are you doing this? Well, God told me. (laughs) See, when you follow God, you always know where you're going, even if you don't have exact coordinates. You hear me? Let me say that again. When you follow God, you always know where you're going. You've got a direction. You know where you're going, even if you don't have exact coordinates. And I'm telling you, if you don't believe that, you need to believe that. I can tell you as a pastor of this church, I've had people say, well, where are we going? And there are times, Sister Linda, can I be honest? I don't know. I don't know. I know where the direction is. But if you're asking me for particulars, I'm not sure. And you know what? God has had the audacity in the history of this church to do things out of the order that I would have done them. And, and, and taken us to places where I would not have gone there. But you know what I found out? The crazy thing is he's been right every time. It's amazing. So, so, so Abraham did not even know where he was. You know, there, there's, this, there's this faith and trust that comes that, that Abraham has lauded for in Hebrews that basically says, I can see the end. I know where I'm started going from. I can see the end. I just don't know the middle. And there is this trust and faith that Abraham had in God that says, look, um, he called me from my beginning. I'm confident in where he's taken me, and I'm confident he'll be the master of the middle. And that's where you've got to be. Um, I, I read a quote that said, it is more... It is a more certain proposition to follow the Lord, not knowing where you're going, than to think you know where you're going, but you're not following the Lord. You think about Jesus. Jesus, he talks to his disciples. He says, follow me. In fact, Matthew's invitation was two words, follow me. There were no details. Many of them would end up in martyrdom. Many of them would give up everything. No details. He just said, follow me. What about Joseph? He gets a dream. His sheaves bowing down, stars and moves bowing down. There's nothing in his dreams about jail time, lying women, dirty brothers, or isolation. None of that is there. But he's willing to follow. And sometimes I wonder, let me ask you this. Let me just ask you this. If you knew all, how many of you, well, think about a time. I've been trying to think how to phrase this. Think about a time where you followed the will of God. You knew it was the will of God. Okay? And it was only at the end that you knew that. There was lots of uncertainty. But when you looked back, when you looked back, you said, it was the Lord that took me here. Anybody? Anybody had a circumstance? Okay. A few of you. Right? So, okay, for those of you that have been in those circumstances, let me ask you. Would you have gone if you knew where you had to walk to get there? You don't have to answer. Just think about it. Sometimes I wonder... If the reason why God says, I can't give you details, Annette, you would never go. But what I can do is show you a promised land and show you the end result and try to get you to trust me along the way and prove me and test out in every circumstance, every step, in every season, what is, whoo, I feel the Lord, what is the perfect will of God concerning me? Amen. We might not start if we knew the struggle. So God just puts us through a lot of just-in-time training. Anybody heard just-in-time training? We'll train you to know what you need to know when you need to know it. Genesis 15 and 6 says this, that, that Abram, he believed in the Lord, and this is how much stock 
that God put in Abraham, just believing in him that he was taking him somewhere. He counted it to him for righteousness because God puts a lot of stock in people who will trust where he is taking them. Key number three, there's no promise that it's going to be easy. Some may take the notion, well, God's in it. God's in this. It's God's will. I'm, I'm in God's will. So everything's just going to flow. It's going to be wonderful. Whenever I need the resources, they're going to be there. Whenever I think I, you know, you just, there's, a, there's a notion that if the will of God is without conflict, it's, it's without static, there's clarity, and all I'm going to tell you is no. No, no, that's usually not I. Well, let me just share mine. I have found that not to be true. The truth of the matter is, here's what I've, this is something kind of God, when I say spoke to me, just, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I feel like God put on my heart. I was complaining one day. Anybody ever complain to God? Anybody? I do. I complain. And uh, he usually fixes that very shortly. But he, uh, he kind of nudged me a little bit and said, um, you might as well, okay, these are my words. I'm probably paraphrasing. I'm not sure the Lord would say it this way, but this is what I felt. Is that right, Neil? I'm just, this is what I felt, like he said. You know, you might as well get used to it because I'm going to ask you to do hard things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do it. I don't know what you were thinking when, I'm not sure God was this sarcastic, but this is how I felt, okay? I'm not sure what you were thinking when you set out on this journey, but there's going to be some times where I'm going to ask you to do some hard things. And it's going to be with the promise that if you'll do the hard thing, I'll take it and I'll, I'll make it to what I want it to be, and it'll be good. Those hard things are usually sacrificial, and they're usually in the areas most personal to us. Think of the example of the rich young ruler. Do you remember that story? The rich young ruler. He had so many things that were right. Remember that story? So many things that were right. He kept so many of the commandments. Came to Jesus. What do I need to do? I mean, he even had the right attitude. What's the will of God for me? What should I do next? And Jesus hits him exactly where he's unwilling to sacrifice and says, um, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Become a homeless nomad with the rest of us. And the Bible says he goes away sorrowful because he had a lot of stuff. Don't be surprised if God says, this is not going to be easy. I'm going to ask you to sacrifice what you love the most. Because here's what I want to know. Who do you love? This world? This stuff? These relationships? Or me? I'm not against you having any of them. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, not his righteousness. All these things. God's not, he's not trying to withhold anything. What he wants is obedience. Obedience. So Abram took, I'm sorry, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot and his, brother, his brother's sons and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. And so they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land of, to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were in the land. Now, that just sounds like Okay, there were some people there. No, there were some really bad 
people in Canaan. Canaan was, at that time in history, was one of the most vile cultures of the time. Look it up. Do history. Do, do research. Horrible things going on in Canaan. So let's, let's, let's further flesh out the picture. God says, you come from your comfortable place. I'm going to put you in a place that I'm going to show you. They get there, and it's horrible. There's murder. There's human sacrifice. There's torture. There's unspeakable sexual perversions. And all of them are integral parts of worshiping the gods that they are servitude to. It's dark. It's demonic. Welcome, Abraham. Here's your new home. There's no promise that it would be easy. Now, everything's different, but nothing's changed, as someone said, and everything's changed, but nothing is different. We're called to be a city on a hill. I don't know if you notice or not, but it's getting darker. City on a hill, candle in the dark, salt, I'm sorry, salt and light to a tasteless culture. Jesus told us this. He said, they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He, he was telling folks, I know I'm not in the middle where you want me. You want me in the middle of all your, all your religious uh, 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 favor. Or you want me all the, in, the, in, the, in the synagogues. You want me in the system. But I did not come to be where you think I ought to be. I came to light up the dark places. Jesus, come on now, came to do some hard things. And if we're going to follow his will, what's to make us think that he would require anything less than us? God will put you in places that need light. And quite frankly, that's not easy. Key number four, God's call for commitment is mutual. Here's some good news for us. God's call for commitment is mutual. Now the Lord said to Abraham, verse 12 and 1, go back to that one. The Lord said to Abraham, Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now till now I've talked about sacrifice, and I've talked about how hard it's going to be, but I want you to understand this also to even out the scales here. When God calls for commitment, he also gives it. When God calls you commit to commit, he commits to you. He doesn't look at you and say, you know what, Larry, I got a will for you. It may get really hard. You may have to give up some stuff. It's not going to be comfortable. I hope you make it. I'll see you on the other side. That's not what he does. When God calls you to commit, he commits to you. Listen to what he said. He said, I want you to get out of your country I want you to walk away from all this familiar, but here's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you a great nation more than you've ever been. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and you shall be, you know, that whole blessing I'm using, you're going to become the definition of it. God always, and not only this, he asked him, how big of a thing was it? Now, it's, that was a big thing to Abram, but really in the grand scope of the, of the deal that Abram got from God. Abram's got to move his family to another land. God says, I'll, I'll create nations out of you. Who got the better end of that deal? 
And the point is this, that God will always go beyond matching your commitment. I don't care how much you give up, I promise you, God will give you more. I don't care how hard you work, the reward that's on the other side is greater than any of the amount of work that you will put in. It doesn't seem like that in the middle, does it, Brother Bruce? I mean, for me, I think you know that too. In the middle, when you're fighting hard, this is why we have scriptures in our Bible that said, don't be weary in well-doing because it gets hard and you can, lose, you can lose sight of the fact that there is promise on the other side of your commitment and you're finding out and searching out the will of God. So you can't forget that. God's call for commitment is mutual. Key number five, and again, we're talking about, talking about searching out, keys to finding, submitting yourself to the will of God. Key number five, you can't pull up short of God's total destination for you. You can't pull up short. You can't decide this is enough. Because that's not what God has. Stephen said this when he was testifying and making his defense before he was martyred. He said, don't you remember the, the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham? Listen to this. When he was in Mesopotamia. Okay, when we read our, our text, the Bible said he was in Haran. But, but Stephen is careful to tell us that God spoke when he was in Mesopotamia. That's a, that is a reference to Ur of the Chaldeans that he walked out of his home. So God spoke to Abraham when he was in Ur. Everybody say Ur. Okay, and he said, get from your country, from your relatives to a land that I will show you. Genesis eleven thirty one says, and Terah, who is Abram's father, took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai and his sons Abram's wife, and he went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. Again, there's those four, five, six words that seem so insignificant. But the Bible says they dwelt in Haran. We read previously that in Haran a lot of things happened. We don't know how long they were there. But they were there for at least a, a certain amount of time because they got cattle, they got wealth. And I would argue it's very possible that they got stuck. They got stuck in Haran. Do you suppose, if you think about it, a little research will show you that Ur is in modern-day Iraq, and it's about 800 miles from Israel, give or take, okay? So we're just, we're, we're, we're ballparking here. So, and if you go and research, when, when Abram came out of Ur, this was not just a bunch of tents in the middle of a wilderness. It was one of the most developed regions of that time in the world around it. It was a metropolitan area, the Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamia. That's where all of humanity Basically, they say the birthplace of humanity. And so this was a developed area. They were walking out of a city into this godless Canaanite area. It's very developed. They start out excited to go to a land of Canaan. And they came to Haran, and the Bible says they dwelt there. Now, I don't know. This, this is supposition, all right? And I'm very willing to take pushback on this. But the Bible says that that Terah, so the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah, Abram's father, died in Haran. Now, the New Testament tells us the call came in Ur. They were excited. They, they were about 500 miles on an 800-mile journey. They were five-eighths of the way, and they stopped. Stopped long enough to acquire wealth, 
stopped long enough to acquire servants, and stopped long enough for Terah to die. Now, it's entirely possible it was just his time. It's possible. But here's what I wonder. I wonder if, if you know anything about Jewish clans, the father is the leader. He is the leader of the clan. So even though God spoke to Abraham, notice Terah moved Abraham from Ur to Haran. And somewhere they were there long enough to acquire a lot of stuff. And could I maybe even interject and suppose to get comfortable? I'm not saying that Terah lost out. But I am saying he died in Haran. And the Bible's fairly clear. Again, we don't know exactly how quickly. But the Bible's fairly clear that after the death of Terah, Abraham, the new clan leader, gathers up everybody and says, we're going to Canaan. So I'm not saying he lost out, but I think it's possible that he pulled up just short of God's highest destiny for him and his family. I don't know what's sadder. Well, isn't it sad? Let me put it that way. To never realize God's purpose in your life. Or is it even sadder to know God's purpose in your life, but stop short of it? Get to heaven and realize how different it could have been. I'm going. I'm just letting you all know that right now. I'm going to heaven. If you had any doubts, I'm just telling you, I'm going. My fear is not at this point in my life, and, and God, to God be the glory, and may it never change. But my fear right now is not that I'm not going to make heaven. My greatest concern is that I get there and find out that I missed a whole lot of what God wanted to do with me because I was comfortable in Heron. This is a nice place. Look how nice this place is. You know what? This reminds me a lot of Ur. Yeah, they, they worship the same moon god that we worship there. Look at this metropolitan area. I mean, this is good enough. Good Lord, 500 miles. God can't say we didn't obey him. We did 500 miles worth this. So there's another 300 miles. Isn't this close enough? Folks, you can die in Heron. You can die short of life. And I'm not talking about necessarily your physical life, your spiritual life, God's purpose for you, his complete will for you. It can absolutely die in a place of being comfortable. I think there's two reasons why people quit, why people stop pursuing the will of God in life. No, the first one is comparison, and the second one is commitment. They're worried about comparison because the easiest thing in the world to do is to only go as far as those that are going around you. Just going to go as far as, I mean, look, I'm good. I, I'm doing every bit of what the fishers are doing. I'm in good company. It's easy to feel comfortable there. Paul, 2 Corinthians 10 and 12, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those that commit ourselves. But they, when you measure yourself by other people and you compare yourself to other people, Paul said, that's not wise. The other reason is commitment. Somewhere you just lose that commitment. And again, this is why Paul says, don't be weary in well-doing. In due season, we shall reap if we faint not. 
2 Thessalonians 3 and 13. But you, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Abraham defeated both. If you ask me, I think Abraham had to wait for Terah to die. I think there was something in Abraham that said, Haran is not enough. Because God called me to Canaan. And as soon as the opportunity presented itself, Haran said, pack up your stuff because this is not everything that God told us to do. Abraham defeated both. He moved to Caitlin shortly after Terran's death. Sixth, sixth key, your obedience to God's will affects more than you. Please understand that if you're going to submit yourself to the will of God, please understand what's on the line. Your obedience to God will affect more than you. Our response to God or lack of response to God always affects others. Look at Abraham in verse 5 of chapter 12. He took Sarah, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, all their possessions, everything they had gathered, and all the people they had acquired in Haran. We're talking, we don't know, but if you talk servants, anywhere from 15 to 20 people to as much as 50 to 100 people. We really don't know. We do know that Abraham became very powerful, became very wealthy, and had many servants, enough to, enough to eventually to field an army to go save Lot's hide. So Abraham's decisions were not just about Abraham. They were about his wife, gentlemen. It was important for Abraham to know the will of God for his family and for his wife and for his children, for his servants, for his resources, for his household. Today, for your church, for your family, for your resources, for your household. We do not live this Christian life only unto ourselves. If Abraham would have balked, would Sarah have seen Canaan? The answer is no. Would they have escaped the idolatry of their extended families? Would Abraham ever worship Jehovah if he had never left Ur or never left Haran out of that idolatry? We don't know for sure, but we can honestly say it, it could be very unlikely. Isn't finding the will of God for an individual's life their own responsibility? Yes, it is. But it's also a cascading effect to those people around us. And while God is well able to lead individuals to his will and blessing, and that has happened. I've seen, I've seen families that have went the wrong way, but a child or a member of that family say, they can, but I won't. And I've seen God develop Wonderful, wonderful plans for that person. But I wonder if God had his way from the beginning, how much more and how much better. So even when those in authority over them resist him, he's, that, that he is willing, he is willing to go at his first opportunity, Abraham, to find God's will. So the Bible also notes that the Lord placed people in positions of great responsibility and influence and accountability over other people's lives. The, the point is this. We all have a circle of influence, whether you believe it or not. You have people that are watching you. You have people that want to see, well, are they real? Are they genuine in about this? So you need to ask yourself, be a good exercise, good homework for you. What is your circle of influence? Who is walking if you walk and balking if you balk? You ought to draw that. Who do you have influence over? If you quit tomorrow, who would it affect? 
if you, if you surged forward in your spiritual, who would affect? Our lives have impact. Lastly, number seven. Seventh key is if you do the will of God, he will manifest himself to you. He will. He will show up. You won't have to wonder forever. Somebody say amen. amen. You won't have to. You won't. The middle is only a season. There's always an end, and then God's got another journey. Genesis 12 and 6, Abraham passed through the land of the place of Shechem, the land of Merah, and the Canaanite was in the land. Verse 7, and then the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who appeared unto him. God will show you you're on the right track. He will. And he'll show it to you when you need to know. I've got so many personal stories. I will not bore you with them. We're almost out of time. But I'm just going to tell you countless times in my life, countless times, and I know there's other people, that God has shown me just at the right time that I was on the right track. He manifested himself to me many different ways. It was, sometimes it was a feeling. Sometimes it was a word. Sometimes it was a sermon. Sometimes it was a prayer answered. But God will show. He knows how to show himself to you. He'll show you on the right track. Sometimes unforgettable. Sometimes dramatic. Sometimes quiet and just reassuring. John 14 and 21 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father. I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. That words he said, I will appear to him. I'll come into view. I'll reveal myself. I'll make myself visible. I'll present myself in the sight of that person to be conspicuous, not hidden or vague. There'll come a time in the will of God where he will manifest yourself, and it will be exactly when you need it. So let me end on this scripture. The prophet Isaiah in 3021, he said, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your voice, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. I beg you, brethren and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, your lives, a living sacrifice in a holy and acceptable way, that you not be conformed to this world, but that you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's all for one reason, so that you will be in a position to test out and to discern in your specific season of life what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that we are not just flailing around, that God, you have specific, you have specific plans for us in the very specific moments that we're living in. I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would go about this business of finding that will, testing God, rattling door handles, walking through doors, walking away from locked doors. Lord, that we would understand that there is something already outlined in heaven that we must pray down to earth and to our lives. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the honor and God, even the excitement and the thrill to follow after your will in our lives. I'm confident. Lord, I have seen enough to know that when your will is accomplished in my life, there is no greater thing that I could do with the breath that you have given me. I praise you for that, Lord. And God, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done in us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.